Good morning, everyone. It is good to see you. The sun is still shining. If you're just coming in, just do grab a seat. There's a few seats around here. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Philip, and uh, one of the pastors here, and I lead the team. And I'll be speaking from the Bible in a second and reflecting on Ashburnham. But as Jason said, to help us reflect on Ashburnham, it'd just be great to have three, four, I don't know, five little testimonies of the things that God was doing whilst we were there. So Forsty is just going to come and kick us off. Uh, Jason said you got two minutes. I'm going to say you got 45 seconds. Uh, so Forsty, who was uh, serving in Groundworks, weren't you? You weren't just there to receive. You were doing the stuff with the three to fives. Tell us what God was doing. So Anybody else wants to come and share? Cue up now. That's 45 seconds. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so we served, so Steph, Louise, and I, we were the um, ones from King's Church serving with Groundworks, and we worked with um, so many other persons from different churches. And we um, really focused on Daniel 1 to 6 and just um, teaching the children about um, being resilient and just um, like remaining strong in God and not um, like, oh, the word has left my brain. But basically, yeah, we um, had so much fun with them. And while we were going through the three days, we asked the um, children that if they want and um, and if God was speaking to them, just to let their team leader know. And especially on the last morning, we asked them to come up if they were feeling confident enough. And I'm just going to read two things that um, some of them said. Why, um, oh, I'm saying um, so much. When they came up. So one of them, as I said, because we were focusing on Daniel and he's been strong and not complying to what the, um, the king wanted. One of them said that she, they wanted their team to pray for them so that when school starts, they will be as strong as Daniel. And another child said, and I quote, you don't have to be good or strong to help save someone. God is with you. So we really uh -huh. had a good time with them, and they really left on the Monday feeling, I think, stronger in their faith. And how so old are these kids? Three to five. Three to five. Yeah. And encountering God. Amazing. <laughs> Anybody else? Don't be shy. Sophie. Thank you. Yeah, just a healing testimony, actually. Um, I went to the Angela Kem uh, seminars, and uh, on the second session, we were doing um, praying for each other and having prophecies and words and pictures and healings. And um, yeah, just, just for me, when we arrived back from Turkey, we had a weekend where we just spent building loads of IKEA furniture. And I spent, spent most of my weekend like this holding things above my head and then on the way to church I was literally walking along the river and my back just froze my neck froze and it was incredibly painful and for about four weeks I was kind of doing this and then in that seminar someone prayed for me and kind of the this Holy Spirit came upon me and my neck was doing this a bit and I'm completely healed wow. praise God move praise it God. yeah I think you should give us more of a full-on like 180 yeah, yeah, just anybody else? You got to, you got to sprint up. Anything at all that God was doing that He blessed you with? I spoke to you about Peter, and that was uh, that was forty five seconds as well, Sophie. No pressure. 
Actually, there were three things. Um, I will take only 45 seconds. The first is, um, Janine and I have been going down to Ashburnham for various conferences since we were 14. So we've known the area well. And every time you step past that bridge, there's a beauty of the place. Yeah. And we were able to revel in the beauty of God's nature, the beauty of God's skies, the beauty of God's trees. And that, that, that gave a peace, uh, I think, to just being there in the first instance. The second was actually being in the meetings and actually being part of the experience of the Holy Spirit of a couple of people that I was able to pray for, um, where we felt where we felt where the Holy Spirit came down. This one person who visits here from a, from time to time, filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues for the first time, uh, and another who ended up sort of on his or two other people ended up on their knees, just sort of filled with the Holy Spirit. It was wonderful to be part of that. But the third thing, personally for me, was a verse that came out twice. Uh, in the first 24 hours. And that was a verse from 2 Timothy, and it took me back uh, to that, uh, uh, that book. It's a very short one. It's instructions to a young 30-year-old um, uh, uh, leader in the church that Paul was, um, uh, that Paul was, was um, uh, encouraging. And it simply says this, fan into flame. And I thought God say to me, there are parts of your life, Pete, that you need to fan into flame again. And so I've been back, just looking, looking back over where I am, what I'm doing, and, and, and who I am, and just in, in Christ, and thinking, Lord, do you want to fan this into flame? Do you want to fan this, do you want to fan this into, flame, into flame? We did that at the barbecue. We fanned things into flame. We did that at the fire pit on Friday with our life grip. We fanned it into flame. And actually, God wants to do that in our lives too. Amen. Amen. You've got to be quicker than that, Nigel. Backers. Nigel, I'll do 20 seconds and then you it. can make your time here. Um, really quick, I could probably share a million things, but I've been to Ashburnham since it started. First year it rained, so we are faithful. I prayed for the sun every year. You can thank me. Um, but it, I just reflected this year on what God has done over the last six years, and I think what's been really incredible is this year it just really felt like we were family and um, I just can attribute that to a lot of things but really the words that were spoken this morning about us being into a new thing God is God is doing that mm. and this is a testimony so I'll be quick um, but what he's really doing he's building family mm. proper family mm. not that relative thing that you were talking about he's talking he's really building family and um, I really really know that on the way back actually me and Maurizio we were in a car accident and by God's amazing grace we were totally fine and so was everybody else but what was incredible in that moment was I text my life group, who um, are my family, and uh, straight away people are praying, there's people responding. Seamus, who is an absolute legend, and I know you won't want any praise for it, um, came and drove all the way back down and got us, um, when, which was totally... And I'm very self-reliant, it's an <laughs> issue. I, my name's Becca, I'm self-reliant. <laughs> and um, it's really hard for me to ask for help, and it's really hard for me to accept help. So actually, I just felt, you know, actually, yeah, come down, drive on your bank holiday Monday and get us. And it was just a real moment of family people people checking in on the week, how we're doing, um, praying for us and things. And it just was a real testament to you guys as a church family about what you do and how you love each other so, so well. And I'm so proud to be a part of this church and I'm so excited for what God is going to do um, in this new season. It isn't just a new season Christian jargon, it really is what God is doing. So just want to share that. Nigel, Amen. come on. Amen. Okay, last one. Yeah, we, we'd been um, praying about um, family and um, really building um, community and um, particularly for, my, uh, for Jason, as, um, my son, and uh, we, re we really had a heart to see him sort of come to church more and things like that. Anyway, um, and have friends. Anyway, 
we were trying to meet up with people for breakfast one morning and um, the only spare seats were, were next to this other couple, um, not from our church, they were from Croydon Church. And so we sat down next to them and exchanged names. And, um, and then before we knew where we were, we realized that they had a son um, the same age as Jason, age 23. Um, he's got special needs like Jason has, as you, I'm sure you know. And um, so we exchanged addresses and telephone numbers. And on Thursday, um, Jason met this lad and they went swimming together. And it was amazing. And I think they definitely made friends. So we're, we're hoping that um, perhaps they come to our church or they, we go to their church sometimes. Anyway, just build up the, the friendship. Um, Wonderful. So, yeah. Wonderful. Brilliant. Wonderful. I think there's probably loads more things that could be shared, um, but it's my turn now. So <laughs> I want to help us this morning, just really to continue on from the Ashburnham theme. And uh, if you were Ashburnham, I really don't want it to be kind of, well, it clearly isn't from the testimonies coming through, but it mustn't be that nice weekend we had in the sun and the good meetings. And we go away for these things in order to be genuinely touched and changed by God and to be set on a trajectory for God and for the local church has been said to have that as well. And if you're part of this church and you weren't there, I really want you to be, as Jason's been saying, others have been saying, to be caught up in that because God was speaking to us as a family, as a body, as it's been coming through. So if you weren't there, don't think, oh, all this stuff that I missed out on. I want you to lean in now, even more so, into what I'm going to share. And if you're kind of visiting here for the first time, brand new to church maybe, I want you to lean in too, because this is not some little holy huddle that we're having. This is us encountering the God that is for you, that knows you, that loves you, and that would welcome you into his adventure, maybe for the first time, or even part of this uh, local church. I think this is for all of us in different ways. And I want to base my message around these two physical symbols, which I want you to be able to see. By the way, just a quick little shout out. Dave and Emma, you got married three weeks ago. Congratulations. There we go. It was a good day, wasn't it? Welcome back. I'm getting good at this family stuff. Anyway, <laughs> bread and wine. I want, to, I want to shape what I have to say around these two symbols of bread and wine. And we will land with communion, the wonderful sacrament that is the Lord's Supper, which is probably what you're thinking about when you think of the, the bread and the wine. But we're not going to do that straight away. There are some other aspects of the physicality and the spiritual symbolism of bread and wine that I want to draw out for us and help us to, to land and apply, whether we were there or not, the things that were being shared at Ashburnham. So the first thing I want to talk about is the wine of God's spirit. The wine of God's spirit. What do we mean by that? Well, in the Bible, if you know the story of the Bible at all, wine is talked about an awful lot. There's a richness to how wine is understood and explained. And it's often used, wine is often used, yes, to, as, a, as a physical drink that was drunk a lot. Indeed, it was the main drink that was drunk in the ancient world. But it's used a lot as a symbol specifically of God's blessing of God's joy, and of God's abundance. In fact, there are 145 positive references to wine across the story of the Bible around those themes of blessing and abundance and God pouring out his, his, uh, his blessing like, like abundant wine upon his people. 
There's also about 40, a lot less, but not a small number. There's also about 40, you might say, negative or warning references as regards to wine, typically around drinking it in its excess and, and drunkenness and so on. So you get 145 kind of positive affirmations of the, the symbolism of wine, and also you get some warnings around the danger of wine. And I wonder whether the Apostle Paul had that richness of the biblical imagery of wine in mind when he talked about the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5. And of course, if you were at Ashburnham, the giving and the receiving of the Holy Spirit was perhaps the key teaching theme, certainly, that came through. And so in Ephesians 5, uh, the Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. He says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But, or instead, some translations say, be filled with the Spirit. And so my question is, why does he choose to make a comparison between the the, the receiving of the Holy Spirit and wine, or indeed specifically drunkenness? It can't be, given what we know about the rest of the Bible, it can't be because he's encouraging a, a foolishness and a recklessness and a silliness when the Holy Spirit comes. It must be to do with something else. Indeed, the Bible uses lots of images, doesn't it, to help us understand the Holy Spirit. It uses the image of fire, the image of wind, the image of a dove, and of course the image of water that we heard lots about at Ashburnham when Jesus talks about the rivers of living water. So why is Paul using wine as a symbol, a comparison, to help us understand something about the Holy Spirit? Well, I think... We need to think about what lies behind getting drunk, because he's using this drunkenness idea to help us get to something. So think about what li- whether you have experience of it or not, what lies behind drunkenness? I haven't got an exhaustive list, and this is not some uh, professional review of the things behind drunkenness, but I'll give you three things, not least from my own experience uh, and, and from observing others, that lie behind drunkenness. One is people get drunk in simple terms to be joyful to be happy. Getting drunk offers, and indeed to an extent can provide a sense of happiness, merriment, joy, and so forth. So joy can be a reason for drunkenness, or at least the pursuit of it. The second reason why I would suggest people get drunk is for boldness. People really enjoy the sense that in our brains, our inhibitions start to fade away, don't they, during drunkenness? And so we do things we wouldn't otherwise do, we speak to people we wouldn't otherwise speak to, and we dare to say things we wouldn't otherwise dare to say. And that some people really enjoy the the sense of boldness, if you want to use that word, that comes with drunkenness. And thirdly, perhaps sort of digging a bit deeper into the the psyche behind it, um, it can be for comfort. So it can be for joy, it can be for boldness, but also drunkenness can be for comfort. People often talk about, at least in hindsight, the way that drunkenness, that alcohol, can at least offer to comfort. It has a way of of convincing us that it can dull an inner ache. People talk about the way that drunkenness can just, even for a moment, can just ease an inner pain. It can make us forget about the things that ache and hurt, at least until the morning. And so that offer that drunkenness, the abuse of alcohol, you could say, is of joy and of boldness and of comfort. And I think that might be at least partly what Paul is trying to get at when he compares drunkenness to instead receiving the Holy Spirit. I think he's saying something like, listen, Ephesians, listen, listen, King's Church, we all want joy, boldness, 
and comfort sometimes. Even if you're here this morning thinking, I'm not sure this whole thing is even remotely true, I think we can probably agree on one thing. There's something in all of humanity that longs for some combination of joy, boldness, and comfort. And Paul's saying, we all want that. But he's saying, don't go and look for it in the counterfeit that is drunkenness. He's like, drunkenness pretends to offer those things, and it's like sand through your fingers. And listen, I'm not being casual here about drunkenness and alcoholism and so on. Uh, For Carol and I, there's a a story in our wider family that means this is is personal. We're not being careless about it. But Paul is being blunt here. He wants to make this comparison. Say, don't look for it in drunkenness and alcohol. Look for it. Find the real thing in the Holy Spirit. It's basically what he's saying. Drunkenness is the counterfeit. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit offers the real thing. That's where, if you want joy and boldness and comfort, Paul's saying, drink of that kind of wine. The only qualification is to be thirsty. You drink of, if you like, the wine, the heavenly wine of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's saying that's where a genuine joy, a genuine boldness, a genuine comfort comes from. Paul's saying the joy of the Holy Spirit, which is the second fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Again, maybe a little uh, link in towards wine and fruit and grape. The second fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. And Paul's saying there's a joy when you drink of the Holy Spirit that doesn't disappear in the morning. It's not like sand through your fingers. It doesn't turn to, to, to boredom over time. It lasts and it can exist outside of your circumstances because it comes from a source outside of your circumstances. Nick, just pop up that image from one of the photos from Ash Burnham that I came across. I think these are, uh, Peter, I think, and Mark took these photos. And just admittedly, um, Mark, who's one of the pastors here, seems to have gained the spiritual gift of levitation uh, <laughs> temporarily. But I just thought it just really spoke to me of a little, just a little bit of joy. Just that little, that little bit of sense of all is well with the world and I can leap for joy. And that is what I think Paul wants us to understand. He doesn't just say, don't you naughty people get drunk? Which occasionally is how the church has wagged its finger at people. He's saying, don't, don't look for, for a counterfeit version. You can have the real deal when you drink of the heavenly wine of the Holy Spirit. And Paul wants to say, you want to know joy? What about boldness? You want to know boldness, Paul would say? Drink of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the central themes of Ashburnham. We're being encouraged not simply to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and to have a great time in worship, but we get the gift of the Holy Spirit in order to be bold and courageous to make Jesus known to our friends and our workplaces and our boardrooms and our offices and our school gates. That's why the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost. They didn't just stay in that room having a great worship time. They poured out into the streets to make the gospel known to those around them. You want to know genuine boldness? Drink this morning of the Holy Spirit. I love the first prayer meeting that we hear about in Acts chapter 4. If you know the story, the first church in Jerusalem is facing some real intimidating threats to their leadership. So they don't panic, they call a prayer meeting. It's not a bad solution. And at the end of their prayer meeting in Acts 4 verse 31, we read these wonderful words. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with, say it, boldness. That's what the Holy Spirit brings. Not a kind of loss of inhibitions and you know, doing things that ultimately you regret in the morning a little bit, like a, a steadfast, genuine courage and boldness and strength, which means suddenly you start saying to your friend, when they say, what do you do on Sunday? You say, well, I went to church actually, and it's quite good. That might be a little step of boldness that the gift of the Holy Spirit brings this morning. The Holy Spirit is poured out very much in, in part, if not in the main, to make Jesus known. And what about being, being brought comfort? Holy Spirit brings 
Joy brings boldness and brings comfort. As we heard at the weekend, over and over again, the Holy Spirit is called the helper in the New Testament. He's not a mysterious, vaporous, ghostly figure. He's the person of the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. One of his names is the helper. Other translations translate him as the counselor or even the fortifier. And Terry Virgo was bringing out the, the strength of that word fortifier and helper. It's not the Holy Spirit comes along, comes along and says, oh, there, there, you'll be all right. That's what alcohol probably does. Just comes along and says, oh, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. The Holy Spirit comes along and fortifies, puts strength into your bones and your muscles. He helps. He brings comfort. He brings power and he brings breakthrough. As Sophie has just been saying, he brings healing. It's part of his strong gifting and comforting and counseling is the the gift of healing. Suddenly necks that are stiff start to turn. Life works better when the gift of healing comes through. His comfort comes in all kinds of ways. He brings spiritual gifts in all kinds of ways. Terry, we were talking about the, the gift of speaking in tongues in the morning. Brings great comfort. Brings great joy, in fact. He gives spiritual gifts to his people for their good and for the building up of others. So I was at the same seminar that Sophie mentioned with this lady called Angela Kem, called Naturally Supernatural. Just thinking about what, what might it mean to partner with the Holy Spirit and to see him do things only God can do, not least healings and people being set free and so on. And I was just in a group of three guys. She just very skillfully and gently and, and, and calmly got us just to really begin to practice some of these things with each other. And I was the three guys, didn't know them at all. Well, I knew one guy's face, but not anything more than just his, his face and anything about him. And she's got us to pray for each other and just to wait to see what might God give us of his heart for each person. And uh, this guy called Clive was just began to pray for me and he said, I, uh, I just sense that God would want to say the phrase new home to you. I wonder if that uh, means anything to you. And uh, those of, some of you are chuckling because the new home means a lot to us. But a couple of things. First of all, one, the way he did it was super helpful. He didn't say, and thus says the Lord. He's like, I, I just think, the father wants to say to you the phrase new home. Does that make sense? He just brought it, not confidently, but calmly, and checked in. Really helpful. I was like, well, actually, new home means an awful lot. We've been trying to sell our house for a year. We had an offer accepted on a house in January. It's taken the whole year. It's just not coming through. We're really stuck. This is like a, a real uh, a dream for us to, to move into a family home. The home we're moving into is owned by this wonderful Christian lady of some 40 years who's part of a church here. And, and she's going on to be part of her son's church plant in Swindon. There's a real kingdom thing at play to this new home. So I was like, yes, new home means an awful lot. So, oh, the comfort of God's. The comfort of God exercised through the spiritual gifts of God in a very natural, calm way. And then he began to pray, and we just prayed into other things around our new home coming to, to bear in time. So what's the qualification then to come and drink of the, the heavenly wine of the Holy Spirit? I'm so tempted to do that, but I feel like there's some... I don't know what it is, but there's something wrong, I think. Maybe irreverent, I don't know. Maybe it's my formal upbringing that means I can't bring myself to actually drink alcohol whilst, whilst preaching. But anyway, what's the qualification for being able to drink of the heavenly wine of the Holy Spirit? Is it you mustering some spiritual credits this week? Ta-da, Jesus, right now. Of course it's not. Jesus qualifies you to drink of the Holy Spirit. That's it. If you're new to Christianity, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, just simply believing and trusting in what those things have done, i.e. you being forgiven and accepted and brought into the family of God, that qualifies you to receive the gifts and the fruit and the power of the Holy Spirit. All you have to do, as we heard over and over again over Ashburnham, is to be thirsty. That's it. 
You simply have to thirst and receive. Everyone talked about it, Ashburnham, so I may as well talk about it as well. John chapter 7 and verse 37. Jesus said these words. In fact, he shouted out these words. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Are you thirsty this morning to know joy? Joy that lasts, that's not like sand through your fingers? You can receive it right in this moment. We don't have to do some great big epic thing where the guy at the front prays for you at the end, though we believe in that sort of stuff. Right now. Holy Spirit, just come and fill me, clothe me. I want joy, lasting joy, deep joy. Joy that the tough stuff of life doesn't take away. You just have to be thirsty and trust in the promises of Jesus. He promised he would die, he did. He promised he would rise, he did. He can trust his promises to give us God the Spirit. You thirsty to know boldness, not least to share your faith. Caroline talking a lot about the seminar that she went to with um, Pete. Pete someone? Pete Anderson, yeah. Talked about pray, care, share. Really helpful. The means of evangelism, pray, care, share. You're hungry for, for boldness, to pray for those friends and families and colleagues, to, to begin to care, perhaps sacrificially, for people around you, and maybe even to share the hope that we have in Christ. Right now, ask the Spirit of God to bring the same boldness that he gave to that first church in Jerusalem, Acts 4. Are you thirsty to know help, comfort, fortification? We're praying for this service before, uh, before the service at 10 o'clock. And indeed, you're welcome to join us anytime before 10 to pray for this service. And, and Amy, who's serving on the hospitality team this morning, had, a, I think, a word from God around people walking in this morning with a sense of, uh, I, I think, Amy, a, a sense of brokenness, a sense of lack, a sense of life just kind of falling around apart them. Holy Spirit, part of the reason why he is poured out is to help you. Not by stroking your shoulder and saying, there, there, it'll be all right in the morning if you try a bit harder. He can bring a fortification, a strength to your spiritual bones and muscle. Right now. Right now. He's so willing to do that. Holy Spirit, can I just pray for you guys? Just put your hand up if you'd love to receive specifically the, the comfort and the fortification and the power of the Holy Spirit. One, two, three, four. Great. Holy Spirit, thank you for your wonderful goodness and your power. And thank you that we are qualified to receive from you because Jesus Christ qualified us. And so it's in the name of Jesus, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill specifically those with their hands up right now with the most glorious and powerful comfort and strength and fortification. Specifically, where life is just hard. Fortify, I pray. Amen. Amen. You want to receive gifts of the Spirit this morning? Receive. Receive those gifts of the Spirit. Secondly, what about the bread? Bread. Equally, I'm longing to eat this. This is decent bread, by the way. This is Sainsbury's, um, what's it called? Taste the difference, exactly. Taste the difference. £1.85. That's how much I love you. What about the bread? What about the bread? I will, I will break it towards the end. See, bread, and I wash my hands, by the way. Bread is mentioned over and over again throughout the story of the Bible, not least because it was a staple diet, but it had huge spiritual significance. 
Huge spiritual significance. Let me just give you one. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 4, verse 4. It is written, Jesus said, when he was being tempted by the, by, the, uh, by the enemy. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus straight away taking the, the motif of bread, knowing how much people needed it and wanted it, and saying, you don't exist ultimately by simply feeding your mouth and your stomach. We exist and we flourish and we prosper when we feed on the word of God. And if you've been a Christian for any time at all, you would would have heard this before. The idea of being fed on the word of God, eating it, nourishing it, digesting it, letting it change you. And that's partly what Fillmore, uh, who kind of has a a fatherly oversight of this church, that he was speaking about on the Sunday evening uh, in his own inimitable fashion. He was bringing a a kind of loving warning to us as a family of churches. And he was kind of punching on the nose the, the false dichotomy that would say, well, on the one hand, you've got people who are all about the gifts and power and presence of the Spirit. And on the other hand, you've got people who are about the Word of God. He was like, that's such a false dichotomy. You can't be. It's illogical to be somebody who's all about the gifts, power, and presence of the Holy Spirit because the Word of God is what the Holy Spirit says. The Bible is the words of the Holy Spirit. He inspired each word to be written. He worked through human authors, but he inspired each word to be written. And he illuminates our understanding. He makes it possible. So to kind of chase after the the sort of simply the power, presence, and gifts of the Holy Spirit is just illogical because the Bible is what the Holy Spirit has to say. And Phil was saying that the spiritual life is like a car. You've got to make sure there are four wheels are well screwed on, one of which was the word of God. So guess what? Pastor stands up in front of church and encourages them to read the Bible. <laughs> Not revolutionary, radical stuff, but it might be. It might be for some of you. To genuinely take the Bible this week and, and, and make an appointment with it and begin to open it and eat it. I'm so tempted to do this. And chew on it. And even the bits that kind of get stuck a little bit in our throat. Because that happens sometimes, doesn't it? Ask the Holy Spirit to help the problem is not at God's end. The problem is usually at our end. He can help us to understand what it is that's maybe sticking in our throat a bit. It isn't just going down. So, let's be a people. We talk a lot in this church about uh, uh, being a people who make a seat at our table. God makes a seat at his table for you this week. I meant to put a seat here to symbolize that. The question is, will you take one? In fact, I will do right now. It's a kind of off-the-cuff, crazy preacher I am. Will you take a seat at the table of God this week and drink of the Spirit and eat of the words? You don't have to wait till Sunday. Please don't wait till Sunday. Please drink long and hard of the gift and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. A couple of images to help us from Ashburnham. I did ask your husband if I was allowed to show this. Just the joy that comes from drinking. Not in excess, I'm sure, but drinking. Next one. People just having, drinking, and thirst being quenched, and joy coming. Drink this week. Take your cup. Take a seat at God's table. Next one, Nick. Three lads who have food in front of them and are eating it. Not gazing upon it, saying, oh, nice, nice food. That'll be nice for next week eating it, chewing on it, digesting it, speaking with a mouthful. So I want to invite you this week to come and dine at God's table. Just you and him, dine at his table, take your seat, work out where that seat is and what that seat looks like for you, and nourish yourself. We heard about this in the middle of the weekend. I'll be, honest, I'll be blunt with you. Take responsibility for yourself. 
by taking a seat at the table God's made for you, drinking the wine of the spirit that he's poured out on you, and eating the bread of life that he's written down for us. Let's leave that image up a bit, Nick. So I've talked about the wine of the Holy Spirit and the bread of the Word of God. I now want to talk about a little bit of the, the bread and wine of God's homes. So we've had about the bread and wine of God's uh, Word and Spirit. What about the bread and wine of God's homes? What do I mean by that? Well, that image, I think, helps us. It's already been shared this morning, so I won't repeat too much of what's been shared. But one of the other things that bread and wine stands for in the Bible is a very, very spiritual thing. It's called hospitality. Over and over again, the significance in the story of the Bible of people sharing, literally sometimes, their bread and their wine with each other is not about some Western, post-Christian, post-modern dinner party thing. It's hugely spiritually significant in the Bible to break bread with people. It speaks of things like welcome and community and rescue sometimes, and protection, and safety, and acceptance, and the deep things that the human soul cries out for. The story of the Bible symbolizes often those things through the the, the literal breaking of bread and drinking of wine over the meal table. And one of the great things about Ashburnham, as has already been said, is that we were able to do that. Not at least at a barbecue, but also just when you're camping with each other. And it was wonderful as a a, a father, I guess, of of our family to look out and to see each person, as best I could see anyway, each person had a seat at someone's table. And food was being shared and and laughter was taking place. And and people were just backing up a bit more as the personal hygiene decreased through the weekend. But nonetheless, there was family and community taking place. People seemed to be making a seat at the table and being given a place to seat, young and old, male and female, married and single, with children and not yet with children, divorced, widowed. The whole thing comes together in the family of God, and we don't unspiritualize the significance of doing that over some food and some drink. Of course, the gifts of the Spirit as we pray for each other, that's also the stuff. But some of us, I think, elevate too much the the more overtly spiritual things of praying, of telling someone the verses in the Bible and so on. Please do not underestimate the profound significance that God has intended there to be and to happen when you say to somebody, there's a seat at my table for you. And we're going to break some bread. And I love the story that Jason shared uh, a couple of years ago around this topic. Of, uh, was it Steve Delderfield, wasn't it? It was a guy in the church at the time, wonderful guy. Uh, Jason, uh, Steve was single at the time. I assume Jason was as well. And um, you went round, Jason went round to his house for a meal. And this guy can cook, as you probably know, so I assume he was expecting something pretty good. And what he got, I think, from Steve was a loaf of bread and a glass of wine. Is that it? That's that's your lot. But as I won't steal your thunder and misquote you, but I think you were saying along the lines of that's one of the biggest standout, like, sacred moments almost that you have in the life of King's Church. Not because Steve knocked out a four-course meal and told you to arrive at 7.30 and bring a bottle and go at 10.30 and bring some after eight mints. Just say there's a seat at my table, Jason. Do you want to just have some bread and wine and talk about a bit of life and pray together? And it's resonated for years since. You can do that. You can do that. Even if for whatever reason your home is not an easy place to open. Maybe you've got flatmates or your spouse is not a believer. There are lots of reasons why or health is difficult. Someone this morning came to church and just offered me a coffee at 10 to 10. So why not do that? Here's a radical, this, this is a radical thought. This is proper revolutionary stuff. Brace yourselves. Why don't you come to church at quarter past ten? I know. 
You could come to church. I know. Even 10 o'clock. Like, there are people here then doing stuff. You could come to church at 10 o'clock. You're like, I, I, just, I can't open my home. For whatever reason, it's not possible. I've got like £2.70 to rub together. But I'll tell you what, the profound experience of this person saying to me and Caroline, would you like us to get you a coffee? I'm like, yes, please. You can do that. That's, hospi- that's the welcome of God. That's another way of making a seat at your table. Listen, just practically, our visitors, some of them you here this morning, they tend to come at around about 10 o'clock, 10.15. Wouldn't it be great if all of us were already here, joining in the prayer meeting beforehand, and beginning to exercise gifts of hospitality? Wouldn't that be a great thing to walk into? Wouldn't that be a great thing to be part of? If you walk in at 10.40, are you still loved? Yes. A little bit less, but you are. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> and listen, that, 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 I, I wasn't going to, this is not in my notes, but you know, I want to just... You know, Christian hospitality is about so much more than asking a Christian brother or sister to come over for dinner one evening six weeks in advance. Like, that's just like level one. If you read the story of the Bible, then it's about actually opening our homes to our communities and, and, and having conversations around food over what, why we have a reason for our faith and, and why there's this amazing supernatural joy, boldness and, and comfort that comes from God. That's like level two. Level three, real deep Christian hospitality is around, it's very clear, opening our home to strangers. Like right throughout the story of the Bible, you see God intends for his people to have homes that are open to those people they don't know, specifically those that are marginalized and vulnerable, specifically the fatherless, the widow, the refugee, probably. That's why I'll never stop talking, probably, uh, about some of those things, not least fostering and adopting. Because I think it begins to get to the, the heart, or at least a aspect of the heart of God's desire for homes to be open and people to find a seat at a table. Start at level one. Level one's fine. We just keep on working at level one. And we should never uh, be foolish and reckless, of course, about opening our homes, not talking about sidelining marriages or, or exposing children to things they shouldn't be exposed to or frazzling yourself out. But I am talking about sacrifice. I am talking about punching on the nose the idea that our homes are our castles and that we retreat from our capitalist uh, world for just to be recharged by a battery and then we go back out into the... That's not, that's not a way the Bible understands the home. Am, are me and Caroline really good at this yet? Not particularly. We're all right. We're learning. We're, we're not saying we've cracked this by any means. We just want to learn along with you. I want us to learn to minister to each other through the gift of hospitality. And who knows? To be a church where even the, the orphan and the widow and the refugee can find a space at that table and a home. So, finally, the bread and wine speaks of the word of God that we're invited to feast on this week, the spirit of God, the heavenly wine that we're invited to drink from, speaks of the the literal physical food and table that we're invited to to take the spirit of Ashburnham forward. And of course it also speaks of not only of God's word and spirit and of God's homes, because they are God's homes and not ours, it also speaks of God's body and God's blood. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 51. I am the living bread. There he goes again, using bread as another symbol. He's like, I, I am ultimately the spiritual thing that you need. Bread, is what he says. That came down from heaven. 
if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. That's the promise of eating of Jesus this week, of eating of the words of Jesus this week, is that there's eternal life. Genuine, eternal, lasting hope is contained in the words of Jesus this week. Do you believe that? Because if you do, it starts to change diaries, starts to change lives, starts to change hours on Netflix. But look at what else Jesus says. I am the bread that I will give for the life, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He doesn't say, I've come down like manna from heaven, bread from heaven, and the more you get to know me, the more that you will know life. He also says, the way in which you can eat on my words, the way in which you can know life is because I was broken. <laughs> I was broken. I was broken. That's what it costs Jesus. He has to be torn apart. It's been torn apart for us to be able to eat and to feast and to be nourished and to be changed and transformed. You need it to be torn apart. The word who became flesh, as John 1 says, was broken that we might be made alive, that we might be fed and nourished and built up. Jesus' blood, the only reason that we're able to drink of the Holy Spirit, I'm mixing my metaphors here, but the only reason we're able to drink, if you like, of the Spirit of Jesus, which is another description of the Holy Spirit, the only reason we can drink of the Spirit of Jesus and no joy, boldness and comfort, is because the blood of Jesus was poured out. Shed. It cost God, didn't it? it cost God so much to make a seat at his table for us. He just made a magic wand and said, you can come in if you like. Cost him. His very son, the bread himself, was broken. His blood poured out. And so I want us in these moments now to begin to share communion together, the Lord's Supper, this amazing sacrament, and to ground ourselves. We do it on the first Sunday of each month. But it's a wonderful way of grounding ourselves in the, the substance of our faith. It's both a memorial, it helps us to remember what Jesus did, but the Bible also says it helps us to participate in Jesus in some wonderful mystery, we actually encounter the presence and the grace of Christ as believers share his, uh, his bread, the bread and wine in his memory. So I wonder, Danny, you've done such a great job at blessing us uh, so far. I wonder if you could help uh, lead us a little bit. Thank you, Andrew. Um, we're gonna, Dan's just going to lead us in some worship. Uh, and in these just remaining moments of our time together, we're going to share communion and to, and to worship and potentially to pray for each other. So just practically let me tell you how this will work. I've, I've deliberately broken uh, the bread here into three places. I'm going to ask uh, Abby and Joe if I could have an extra, just a chair I'm sure is fine that you can easily, and then we can move things to different sort of stations as it were, a bit rough and ready. <laughs> Very rough and ready. I'm sure that's fine. Thank you. Just to one side would be great. Thank you. And the second, I'll move this to one side. And because of the significance, the profound significance of what's known as the Lord's Supper or communion, because it is a, a statement of faith in what Christ did, it's obviously a meal for those that believe in what Christ did. And so if that's not where you're at this morning, you say, I'm not yet a follower of Christ, I've not trusted in his death and resurrection, then we would just very gently ask you not to take communion as a kind of logical thing, really. What we'd ask you to do rather than considering communion is to consider Christ. 
and, and to use these moments to consider the wonder of a God who not only offers us joy and boldness and comfort and eternal life, but was broken and killed in order that we might know those things. So we love you, we're here for you, we're so glad that you're here. Please use these moments to reflect on Christ as those of us who believe in Christ take communion. If uh, gluten-free and grape juice is your thing, that is the, the table uh, where Abby and, Abby and Joe will point you in the right direction. Wants to make sure that whatever is easiest for us to take this morning, that we can take it all together. And just as Dan is singing over us, you can, you can start by singing with him. You can just stay in your seat and pray. You can ask the person next to you to pray for you to know the Holy Spirit. You can go up perhaps with your spouse or your friend or the person you're sitting next to and, and take bread and wine, tear it, dip it in the wine, take it together, perhaps do some of the Ashburnham stuff of doing it together in community. If you're brand new here this morning, you don't know anybody yet, you just totally fine just to come and do it as a, as a private individual thing if you're a believer. But there's a w- range of ways that we can just be family here this morning, camping out if you like, to use that expression over the bread and the wine. I pray for us. God, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you were here in smelly tents last weekend and you're here in this theater this morning and you're amongst your people all over the world again and again giving your spirit. We thank you that we get to drink of your spirit and feed on your word because you were broken for us. And so I pray that we would ground ourselves in these moments as to who you are and what you've done and that we would then begin to to keep on receiving all of you are. Help us be people that thirst for you, hunger for you. Help us to be a church that open our homes to each other and to our communities and to the vulnerable. We pray these things, Jesus, in your beautiful name. Amen.